0: A very good morning everybody welcome to the Credit Suisse race control at the 2014 Goodwood Motor Circuit Revival the 17th event here at this wonderful West Sussex venue uh, we are live on 87.7 FM Goodwood official radio station we're also live on the Telegraph website so we have a large audience great to see so many members of uh, the press and distinguished Credit Suisse guests um, I'd like to start by uh, introducing Bastian Lawson from Credit Suisse to say a few words Bastian Thank you Henry. Good morning ladies and gentlemen, a warm welcome from Credit Suisse. My name is Bastian Lawson, I'm a Managing Director at
1: Credit Suisse and actually I was one of the founding fathers of our program here. Ten years back we started in Monaco with our first rally. Uh, we extended our commitment uh, last year, we just extended the contract with Goodwood for another seven years. Uh, we helped restore this beautiful building here in race control and uh, we are welcoming some very distinctive uh, gentlemen here at the panel, a special welcome to Sir Sterling, And uh, I hope you will enjoy the discussion today. Uh, we hear a lot about the dream team of all of you. And I'm very curious to hear what this dream team will be.
0: Thank you very much. So yeah. Thank you, Bastian. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce the panel. Where to start? Uh, the most famous racing driver in the world. Uh, No arguments needed. Um, Sir Sterling Moss, ladies and gentlemen. Mm -hmm. We have a man who won the 1975 Spanish Grand Prix in a McLaren. He also won the 1989 Le Mans 24 Hours. He was a European touring car champion. The winningest man in the Group C era of sports car racing, Mr Jochen Moss. We have a man, one of very few Brits, who raced a Formula One car for Ferrari. He also went on to win Le Mans five times and win the World Sports Car Championship twice, Mr. Derek Bell. And we have a man who's been there, done it, built it talked about it, written about it, been photographed with it and everything else in between. A man who started his own team and took on and beat the might of the works teams in World Sports Car Championship racing. Mr Alan de Cadenet. And we have someone who's a little bit too young to be part of this uh, forum and I'm not talking about myself. Please welcome Marussia Formula One driver Max Chilton. I have to tell you, for a contemporary Grand Prix driver who's, who's supposed to be completely blinkered and self-obsessed about his current uh, uh, activities, Max knows a lot about racing, and uh, he uh, has the fever, as we like to say, around these parts. Uh, good to see you, Max. Thanks for joining us. Our theme, the third in the series of dream themes, is dream teams. And I will be asking the panel at the end to come up with their perfect teammate, your perfect team, and your perfect series. So who would you like to be in a team with? Which team would it be? And which championship would you like to do? And it can be as ridiculous as you like, okay? So we'll ask uh, at the end. Let's kickstart uh, the forum. It's an, it's an open house debate. We're taking questions on Twitter using the hashtag CSDreamTeams and uh, Stuart Dyble is monitoring those closely. We'll uh, get a few of those uh, towards the end. We'll have an interruption at about quarter past nine uh, in the shape of the V16 BRM, which is quite a nice introduction to have. So Sterling, can I start with you? The team. The team is an essential part of motor racing. From your perspective, you chose very carefully, didn't you, who you drove for? Just tell us why that was. I
2: would choose, of course, Tony Brooks uh, because he has enormous, enormous uh, knowledge about motor racing. He's, he's very careful with the car. And, and he is extremely quick. I mean, not only in Formula 1, but sports cars as well. And because quite often you find the drivers who really fasten a sports car, but isn't much in Formula 1 and
0: vice versa. I think he covers a whole a whole lot. You came into the sport very young, and yeah. you were fairly early on. You were paired against Juan Fangio at Mercedes, yeah. and you learned a lot from him. Is he the sort of well, an ideal
2: teammate? The, the reason I didn't mention Fangio, really, is because I, I feel that Tony, Tony was... Uh, in more types of racing than, than Fangio. I mean Fangio was without a doubt, in my opinion, the, the greatest Formula One driver ever at the time that he retired. And I mean he had five world, world titles and so on, and an uh, amazing man. I mean, uh, he would, he would, what was the great thing from my point of view with him, he didn't mind me following him very closely. And I learned a tremendous amount.
0: That V16 BRM sounds different, doesn't it? Anyway. They um, can't start it. Yeah, better or worse? Sorry, better or worse than the V16 BRM, the marching it's band. Probably the probably the worst car I ever drove, actually. <laughs> oh, I mean, perfect. The, the good news about its it wouldn't last more than one lap. So, <laughs> That's the point. Yeah. So that won't be BRM won't be your dream team then.
2: No, 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 certainly not. I mean, mind you, the BRM was the first, Only time I passed Fangio, he was going backwards at the time. <laughs> That's what happened with that V16. It was dreadful. I think it's I think it's going better now, but in, in its day, it was terrible.
0: Your... can. What did the team mean to you? You, you, were, you raced for the works Ford team in touring cars, you raced for McLaren in Formula 1, and Mercedes in sports car racing.
3: And Porsche. And Porsche, yes, of course. Yeah. Um, my dream team really ultimately was, uh, you know, have to separate Formula 1 to the, from the sports cars, uh, touring cars, whatever. But um, the dream team was at the time definitely um, Porsche because the 962s or 956s as they started off were just magic. You know, and uh, I drove with Jacques Hicks all these years, and he became a very dear friend. And of course, you know, we, we raced occasionally together, Derek and I, and some other guys, but basically it was Jacqui. And um, it was fabulous. You know, he was a wonderful teammate, and so on. So that was really a dream team. Later, when we drove the, uh, the Sauber Mercedes, which were fantastic cars, of course they were a step ahead of the Porsches. Um, it was also a dream team in a way, it was Jean-Louis Schlesser. Who was uh, a lovely man except he was rather selfish which is fine you know i mean if you live with it you have but, to be um, don't
0: you, to a degree huh you have to be don't
3: you selfish yeah i guess you have to but uh, no. it's a right for some but uh, some others were not jackie was the he was not selfish jackie x for an example so just to make a point between the two for an example and uh, Schleser was great lovely guy and I mean i got on with him very well but i also saw his <laughs> sort of mischievous sides sometimes, which were—I don't want to rubbish him at all—but um, he's a great guy. Huh? Doing right, he's doing all right. <laughs> could you, could you, pl- if you want to speak, Derek? Could you
0: please use the microphone? <laughs>
4: I mean, don't, oh, don't hang up, you and keep going. Cause getting the message.
3: I was getting to you. Don't oh, worry about no, it. <laughs> Listen, yeah. We had a good time. You, but, you don't need me, you two. Yeah. You <laughs> interrupted me. I have you go. Say, yeah. I have to say
4: one thing. What you mustn't forget is you need, you need. Unlike in Formula One, where people seem to enjoy battling each other, you have to have a rapport with your teammate. And if he has any quirks, you need to sort him out because you've got to virtually sleep with him. You know, for the whole year and you know you need to be compatible and so Jochen's totally right if you're not happy with a guy and he's selfish there's no good in that because you're just upset every damn race. I'm afraid teammates don't sleep with each other anymore Derek.
3: No no I did actually oh, I did hang on <laughs> I did.
0: Max you hate your But actually, you said you?
5: not anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: we had to share a room once for sorry with James Hunt, Notorious and he was with his girlfriend with Hoddy and um, it was because they made a mess up with the rooms, so I had to share one night a room with James and then Hottie, it was quite funny, because they were around the corner, and I only could hear what she was up to, and he didn't, he said, no, 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 he said, forget it, um, it doesn't work because of whatever. And um, <laughs> I said, I tried to call her over, but of course it didn't work either. But uh, It know. was all right for you,
4: but we had a similar thing at, in the 962s, and I had a wonderful teammate, tall German guy, and, uh, I, he, of course, there were three of us in the car at that point. <laughs> Al Holbert was out driving. And I, of course, I took my son, Sub Justin, who was probably then 60, 15 or something. We go back to the little caravans that we had in those days, not bloody great apartments we're given at Le Mans now. And, of course, the caravan started rocking for a while. And, uh, Sub, and Justin saying to me, what's happening up there, Dad? You know, And, of course, the caravan's bashing up and down at 3 o'clock in the morning. And my teammate, made it Enjoy the last ever Credit Suisse yeah. Historic yeah. Racing Forum. <laughs> You said you wanted it lighthearted, you know, but it's the truth. You can't hide them, can you, Max? Where's this going? Pull up
0: a chair and, and share the cad's microphone, because um, Alan, very quickly,
4: because um, like you a st- explicit from modern day. Yeah, you started
0: your own team, and you could do
1: what you like, couldn't you? Except you had no money to do it. That was the problem. But um, uh, if I was to put my dream team together, uh, don't, don't do that now. In, in hindsight, That's for not the end. doing it now. No, right. Well. The, the great thing about being a private entrant is that you, you're you not being paid a cent to do it. Uh, I would love to have had I, any of these gentlemen here driving with me, obviously, who wouldn't? But the big difference is you have to pay them, of course. And that wasn't really in my book, because all my money that I could lay hands on would go into building the car. But perhaps the, uh, <coughs> the, the biggest thing that happened to me in my career is that I, I met a young guy down at Brabham's when I had, Jack, I had Jack Brabham's old Formula One car. And I used to go down to Newhall, where Brabham were, and I met this young guy in the drawing office there. He was doing park designs. And I went off to the pub with him and I realised talking to him, this guy is a genius. Gordon Murray. And that's how I got into building my own cars properly. Is I asked him whether we could convert the Brabham Formula One car into a two-seater to go to Le Mans. Because I'd had Ferrari 512s at Le Mans, a car that Derek had driven actually as well. And they wouldn't let us have the 312 PBs. So I said to Gordon, do you think we can make a look-alike to the PB, but have Cosworth, Hewland, whatever? And that's how it all started for me. And so uh, we made everything the way Gordon drew it. And it all fitted together. The car never practiced, it never did anything. We took it straight to Le Mans, did 202 miles an hour down the straight, straight out the box. That was unbelievable. And actually, at the end of that race, uh, we were at the BRDC dance. And Bernard came over and he said, boy, you know, you've been using my people to make your car and stuff, Bernard Ling. I said, well, only in their own time. Gordon used to work for Bernard in the day and then go home and work all night for me. Knack of, course, in the morning. But um, Bernard then asked me whether he, I thought that Gordon Murray could do a complete Formula One car for him. And I said, well, you ask him. If he says he can do it, he'll do it.
0: And because the rest is history. Stilling, when, when you're a selfish Grand Prix driver and you have the car to yourself, I meant that generically, obviously, um, and you do, some, you do something like Le Mans and you have to share a car with somebody and it has to be set up for you both to like it. Is that a difficult transition? Well, first of all, I didn't like Le Mans. I just think
2: 24 hours was a pin in the neck. Uh, but, um, you I bet know, you wouldn't say that if you'd won it. Exactly. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> absolutely. I, th- I think now it's, a, but now it's an incredible race. I mean, they race flat out from the start to the finish, which is, which is unbelievable. But Le Mans, there's no doubt, I mean, it, it, it's a long race that didn't, at that time, like 24 hour races. And, um, you know, it didn't really, it wasn't at the top of my priorities. You know, I was much more impressed with what races we are gonna do every week, you know, around Europe, driving, you know, whatever I was driving.
0: You, I mean, you were quick at Le Mans, and you led the race uh, many times. Yeah. And in those days, you had to adapt. You had to be able to jump out of single-seaters, into sports cars, into touring cars. You would, you would often race half a dozen cars on, on a given day. Yeah. That mentality's gone, hasn't it? Um,
2: yeah, but, because I don't think it's allowed. I don't know if they'd be allowed to today. I mean, there's so, so many rules and regulations in Formula 1 that God knows if you'd be able to do that. I don't think you would, frankly.
0: Max, um, when you finished in Formula 1, you, you strike me as the sort of guy who would fancy having a go uh, at Le Mans or, or, or touring cars or something like that.
5: Yeah, well, uh, I've got a bit more to do left than Formula 1, to be honest with you, but uh, I do love that style of racing. Um, I was lucky enough to race an LMP1 um, Le Mans car at the Silverstone thousand kilometre race when I was only 16 years of age, and I uh, was doing kind of 200 miles an hour down the back straight at Silverstone, and I didn't really know what I was doing, to be honest with you, but we managed to finish fifth overall. So um,
0: <laughs> A little I, bit more downforce than the Marussia
5: perhaps? A lot more. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was uh, it was good fun, and uh, I partnered with my brother, who's actually uh, won quite a a few Le Mans races, not the actual 24 hours, but he's won Nürburgring um, 12 hours and I think he won Laguna Seca as well. So I think uh, when I do retire, whenever that may be, uh, I will uh, definitely get into that style of racing.
0: There's all this thing, isn't there, for a young single-seater driver that you have to hate your teammate uh, and there are psychological games. You're trying to get uh, me to say something, aren't yes, you? Yes, I, I know. I know. You're all right with Jules, aren't you? Um, but Hamilton-Rosberg, I mean, that's just a mess
5: isn't it i'm not going to say anything but it's, uh, it's at the listening. end of the day They're when you listening. when it's you're in a car mix. which two drivers and one of which is going to win the world title um you know it's not going to end very well because one is going to come out on top so i can understand their situation um, i just hope the, the brick comes out on top because um, you know i'm patriotic but it's going to be a very interesting last six races Yeah.
0: um but it's a lot of pressure on a young guys not it, coming up to to rise above it all and, and stand out in what is kind of a, like a one-make formula because the cars are identical you have to you have to shine don't you
5: you do have to shine and um, you know where I am we're in a car which isn't gonna win but you have to still do the best job you can for the team and you have your teammates compared to, compare to. Um, at the end of the day every car is different um, and so your teammate is your best um, kind of comparison and uh, you know a lot of the greats have all started at the bottom uh, where we are and it's, it's down to yourself to you know do the best job you can to work your way forward so um, it's it's not easy times in Formula 1, people's careers seem to be very short but you've just got to work very hard and and try, you know, try and help the team as much as you can. There's lots of good drivers in the last couple of years that have been quick but they haven't actually helped the team out with the sponsors and the corporates and their careers have come to an end very, very early so it's the, it's the whole package which Um, You know, all elite sports are like that now. Um, If you're a top golfer, footballer, you have to be good with all the the, the bits on the side. Derek, as a younger
0: man, you race for Ferrari, and there are no greater politics uh, and media pressure. You're really in the spotlight, aren't you, in Ferrari, especially as a Brit?
4: Yeah, I I mean, I think they are. Yes, certainly today. When I was there, um, I would sort of was a third driver because they were just sort of supposedly bringing me on for the next year. And uh, I mean, obviously, it was. A, although Ken Tyrrell was heard to say, "Mr. Ferrari ruined my Formula One career," I went on to have a pretty good career in sports cars. So I can't blame Enzo for that. But um, I'd probably been dead if I stayed in Formula. And that's the thing that Max is so lucky, and I pray and hope it stays that way. That we haven't had a major accident for so long. Um, and it, you know, if we crashed in those days, you were you were injured. We, I mean, Jochen, we've all been slightly injured one way or another. A lot of people died. Slightly. Slightly. Well, I mean, it was awful. It was shocking. And, uh, you know, I think that way for these guys, at least they can have a go for it. And uh, I think for young people coming in, it's damn tough because in our era, sadly, people moved on because they didn't stick around. And uh, With Max now, he's him moving up, I mean, look at David Goulthard was in there, what, 14, 15 years. He, he didn't move on and out. So suddenly there's a blockage of all those... Obviously, terribly talented drivers that have very good names, but the young guys can't have a real job to break through unless they get picked up like Ricciardo has and that sort of thing, and it sort of has popped out and worked. I mean, you stick him in the Red Bull, he'd probably be right up there. So all the guys up there are terribly talented, but it's making that breakthrough. Yeah. Sterling, the
0: safety thing uh, was, was a, a very big deal in, in your day. Did you choose the team that you raced for based on how safe the cars would be? I guess not as you drove for no, Lotus. No.
2: I mean, this, uh, one, one didn't consider safety. I mean, you only had to drive a Lotus once or twice to lose a wheel or two. And uh, you know, I think when you, when you go into a Formula One race or a sports car race, doesn't matter what, I mean, you're gonna drive as hard as you, as you possibly can, particularly on yourself, even more so on yourself than on the vehicle, because they weren't, in my era, they were not that reliable. And remember, races were three hours long then, minimum. Now, of course, about an hour, 10 minutes. Because it's a very, very big change.
0: You were possibly going to drive a Ferrari, weren't you? Uh, yes. If you hadn't had your, your accident here in 1962, and it would have been run, run by Rob Walker. Right. So a Ferrari car. had
2: agreed to supply the car painted in Rob Walker blue, allow us to run it, Alf would be in charge, and we had nothing to do with the factory, we would be f- competing against them.
0: Hands up, who would have liked to have seen Sterling Moss in a Rob Walker Ferrari against Jim Clark in a Lotus 25? I would. (laughs) would. (laughs) (laughs) Not everybody put their hand up, which is
3: quite odd. Um, They couldn't couldn't get him out of the pocket quick enough. (laughs) (laughs) You
0: had an enormous accident uh, at Paul Ricard in 1982. Were you conscious of driving cars and driving for teams that proper
3: cars? Actually, when you mentioned that, it was quite funny because, you said, there was no uh, often there's no movement, there's a blockage and nothing moves in the teams, drivers remain and so on. And uh, there was no opening and when I then got it, uh, finished with uh, McLaren, the only venue was ATS. And of course, it seemed the right team because it was basically the March team, it was uh, Robin Hurd, brilliant guy, designer, and uh, all the mechanics and they left after the first race because the owner of the team was such an obnoxious character that uh, nobody got on with him. That included me too. And um, it was very difficult. And on top of it, I had this stupid accident uh, in Silverstone, anyway, which uh, luckily didn't cost my life, but it was close. And um, so, I'm walking slightly limpy since then, but it's okay. You know, I mean, then you have your accident and you wake up in the hospital and you think, I'm still here. I had my duty accident, this sort of thing. It, I was always waiting for one to happen, because you can't go through all these years not having one, I felt. And um, so you're still there and you think, oh, it's good now. It's all right. So a few months later I was out again, causing crutches. I couldn't put my weight on my left foot because the knee was pretty badly uh, shattered. And um, so I did handstands on crutches instead. So for a while, can, that was quite fun. Can we see that?
0: Can, we, can, you, can you do that now?
3: There's a certain uh, middle section, which sort of is a bit too weighty. Uh, <laughs> but in the mid-80s, sports yeah. car
0: racing was dangerous too, wasn't it? We lost Stefan Belloff, we lost Manfred Winklehoff. Well, it was the
3: nature of things. The cars were very fast. The chassis were not as safe as the later ones, you know, with Mercedes, the, or the Sauber, and the, of course the carbon chassis. So it was really treacherous. You had to make sure that you stayed within the limits of what you should do. If something breaks, which rarely ever happened with the cars, you know, the Porsches... Try a Lotus. um, Sorry? Try a Lotus. I know, that's why I never wanted to drive a Lotus, because I felt it was wrong. I mean, I could give some example, I don't want to get into that now, but there was a good reason why I wouldn't. And funny, we walked through the Monaco pits this year at the um, Grand Prix Classic, and I was with Gerhard Berger and he said, you know, Jochen, I would never have driven the Lotus. I said, I feel the same. Even though so, the Lotus 72 was a magnificent car, performance-wise and all that, and obviously it, was, it looked pretty safe too. But there was a certain attitude um, within the leaders of uh, Lotus, which was a bit too marginal. You know, Jackie X um, touched with the 72 because I boycotted the race in uh, in 74 for some reasons because I'd always, breakages on the car in each practice session, I didn't do it. And um, I saw Jackie just touching the arm core and a piece of his rim came off. So then, in those days, I could still go down, quickly grab it, and I walked up to Colin Chapman and I said, that's from Jackie's right rear wheel. Uh, maybe you call him in, it was a substantial piece of the rim, you know. And um, he said, oh, thanks a lot, yeah, no, it's a good idea. And so on, and um, anyway, then I watched him, I walked on a little bit, and I stood behind, and, I see what he, was, and he looked at it. And he threw it on the floor. I saw it then, uh, typical in a way, but maybe he knows better that this is harmless, I don't know. But it was sort of this sort of attitude which I didn't really appreciate a lot. So that's why Lotus was always a bit special. Even the performance was good, but they were treacherous. So, you know, there was something you always have to bear in mind. If you think it's wrong, don't drive it, it's wrong. I could give you another example, which I don't.
0: Did you, as a team owner, did you have aspirations to go beyond sports cars? Did you, did you fancy Formula One?
1: Well, I did have a Formula One car. I mean, when uh, I took that Brabham on from Jack when he retired. But um, I was married to a woman then who uh, didn't want me to do Grand Prix racing because people were dying, like not dying like flies, but there was we had witnessed some terrible accidents. And so I was allowed to go and do some sports car racing. But Le Mans is a bunch more dangerous than. Formula One I think and as Sterling has, so, has said quite recently that uh, Formula One is so safe today and I thank God for that on the one hand but I think it encourages drivers to take risks that they wouldn't take otherwise um, I was never really aware of how dangerous it was until I looked at some of the wrecks that took place in races that I was doing. Uh, Derek and I were talking uh, about um, Junty, who was killed in Buenos Aires when we were doing the 1000 Ks there that was horrible, That happened. we all saw that. And I finally stopped racing at Le Mans. I used to play snooker with James uh, on Wednesdays when we were all in London. And he always said to me, well, if you don't stop it, it will stop you. And I was at the Le Mans when, you remember Joe Gartner? Mm. Well, he, he, was, he was killed there. They said he died on impact, but in fact he was burnt in the car. And I watched it or saw it as I was going by. And I, I, you have a sort of epiphany about these things. You're, you're not quite Saul on the road to Damascus. That's Saul on the road to Damascus. That country band will have a number one with that. Yeah. But you, you, have a sort of a, you have an epiphany, and it, it becomes apparent to you at that moment that now is the good time to stop. And that's happened to no end of drivers, and some of them come back like Nicky Lauder did. But in my case, I, I realised what had happened. That could happen to me, and I just said, that's it. And James was right. If I don't stop it, it will stop me. And I vowed never to go back and do another modern race. Just, and I never did.
0: Max, you've come to the Goodwood Revival, your first time here, and you walk around the paddock. Do you look at the cars from a modern perspective, uh, with the amazing advancements in safety, and do you just think they're all they all look really dangerous?
5: Um, yeah, especially the latter ones. Um, they, you know, At the time they weren't really aware and they were more conscious on building speed um, and they did that very rapidly um, but that's at the risk of kind of making them not particularly safe and too, too lightweight but um, some of them are spectacular cars and I, I appreciate them a lot but I, I'm definitely more comfortable in my carbon cockpit. Um, I feel a little bit safer in that.
0: Must be more fun having uh, more grip than power or the other way around, I beg your pardon. More power than grip.
5: Yes, it's, yeah, I'm a big fan of this year because it, it definitely gives the drivers more to do. Um, Monza in a straight line coming out of a chicane at fourth gear, you're probably doing 100 and 30, 140 miles an hour and I, you, last weekend I was having violent snaps still changing up the box which, you know, that's a lot of power and um, we've definitely got reduced downforce this year so I think it's making the drivers work harder um, and I started my, my racing career off in a, a thing called T T-Car which is a mini touring car for 14-year-olds um, and that was a real wheel drive um, touring car so I was used to the weight transfer and the thing moving around so I think this year it's, it's favouring my driving style um, and going back to the, the the risks um I think the risks you know are dramatically reduced but there 's there 's still still people on our grid that are taking kind of unnecessary risks with overtakes, which makes the sport sometimes look like it 's coming across not particularly well because people go for for these moves which make them look like heroes, but then they can look like you know you know hero to zero very quickly, and they go for a gap which is a half gap, and if it comes off you know It looks amazing, but half the time it doesn't, and then it creates these big accidents. Um, Luckily, we're we're pretty safe now, so we're we're all staying um, very safe, but it's a a couple which sometimes let us down. Drivers are getting younger and younger. We know that Max Verstappen will be barely
0: 17 when he starts the Australian Grand Prix next March. Is that going to be de rigueur now? Are guys who are sort of 2021 will they have missed
5: it? It's weird. I, I came into the sport um, in Melbourne in 2013 last year and I felt I was pretty young. Um, I was I was 21 at the time um, and now I look at it with Max coming in next year I feel pretty old. Uh, my teammate Jules is two years older than me. He's going to be 26 next year. He's going to be nine years older than Max Verstappen and Jules is not particularly old. So it's, you know, I was young. I was the youngest and I am still the youngest to ever race uh, Formula 3. I was one of the youngest to ever race GP2 but now this is taking it to a whole new level. So I hope for his sake it it comes off, but um, it it, it is very young. Sterling,
0: you were uh, still in your teens when you started racing, made your Grand Prix debut when you were very early 20s. That wasn't the norm then, was it? Drivers were older in the 1950s.
2: Yeah, very very much so. But I mean, remember after the war, there were no, very few races. I mean, when we had to do hill climbs and, and use old circuits, you know, aerodromes and so on. So it's not the same thing at all. I mean, how racing is today is so much better than it was then. The, the circuits, I think, are, are overly secure, really. I, I think they've tried to remove, remove all danger, which I don't think is necessarily the right thing, quite honestly, for, for top-line racing. I think you need, you need the danger aspect to be there because I think it's, it's exciting as a driver to try and do something that the other guys
0: can't do. And Max probably doesn't have as much fun out of the car as you guys did. No, I'm
2: sure he didn't, but I mean. How do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> we we'll we watched the press loads. conferences on the telly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jochen, how old were you when you started racing, and did you feel when you you were immersed in the big team culture uh, as a young man? Was it was it daunting?
3: Actually, I was 22, and I looked at it because I watched a hill climb. Sterling, you just mentioned that, and um, I looked at the hill climb, and I sat in the forest with my girlfriend. She was a corner worker, (laughs) yeah, no, she was a corner worker, uh, No, no, no. and um, it was very nice, it was really intriguing, the smell of these cars, you know, then the GTAs, the Alphas, were magic, they were big cars, 1600cc, but anyway, so, then I thought, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, When I was, that was, this was 21, and then I started racing really when I was 22. I did my first single-seater race when I was 25. I never sat in one, I never drove a go-kart, and uh, I loved it, it was a Super V. I thought this is better than ice cream, it was fantastic. And um, so I did all the touring cars and sports cars, aside from that, and it was a fabulous experience of course over the years. And, um, you know, then I did Formula 3 briefly and so on, and with 27 I was in Formula 1. And um, okay, it had helped that I was in a country where you didn't have too many Formula 1 drivers, so you know, the old, the older adage in the land of blind, the one eyes king, this sort of thing. But um, it was good. You know, I knew I had a lot of talent, but I also knew that I didn't have much time. So I spent seven, eight years in Formula One. That was good. I loved it, except all you know, the teams were like that. So um, that was my decision. It was my mistake partly that I didn't work harder to get into a different team and God knows what. But in with retrospect. I don't think it could have been changed because I was like that, so what, what do you do? But it was fun.
0: Derek, when, you're, when you're, you're young and you're starting out in racing, you think you're invincible, don't you? And you think that everyone will spot you and everyone will take you on and, and, and you'll go onwards and upwards.
4: I, I don't think you're right. Um, when I started, was with a Lotus 7 right here in the rain on March the 13th, 1964, and somehow I won it at 66.48 mile an hour. I actually got an alarm clock, still got it. Um, which, of course, is very helpful to your buying your set of new tyres the next week for your race car. And we started with a Lotus 7 and I went up to Formula 3, but I didn't start till I was 23. And I went through Formula 3 to Formula 2 and we had some great races. Do you remember the Nürburgring when you beat me on the last lap? You rotten. I didn't
3: want to bring it up.
4: <coughs> yeah, very good. <laughs> but we bo- didn't we both drive for Rondennis that day? Was that Rondell racing?
3: No, 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 it was. No, it wasn't. No, it was, no, no, no. This was uh, the March race car.
4: All right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With, yeah. But we had, anyway, it doesn't really matter, but Joachim was damn good in Formula 2, so you sort of skipped over Formula 2 a bit quickly. But you basically had to graduate, and that's where I think we're losing a lot these days. You start in carts, and they pick them from carts, rather than from, what do they do? Formula BMW, Formula, you know, Nissan Formula, all these too many formula. I know there's a lot more guys trying to get there, but in our day, you went Formula 3, Formula Ford, Formula 3, Formula 2, Formula 1. And the guys got there and they picked you out because in Formula 2, we should have enjoyed was that we actually used to race at, at Thruxton and all around Europe against the best in the world. Formula 1 drivers came down and raced Formula 2. So Lotus, uh, you know, would put Jimmy Clark in a Formula 2 race. Eric and, Bell. Yeah. And so I'd race against them. So you could, sh- you know, sh- And the cars were so similar. And Jackie Stewart was doing it. And Jochen Ritt was doing it. I actually
3: it. won because I had Formula 1 tyres in the back and you didn't. No, yeah, thank you. I think
5: did. I think Derek is completely right with the, the way they should make it like they used to do it so you had Formula 3 then Formula 2 and Formula 1 and if you look at MotoGP now you have all the categories the junior categories at the same event and everyone gets to know each other the, the, the top teams know the junior drivers coming through and it works a lot better so I think we need to get back to having F3 GP2 and F1 all on the same bill and okay I'm, you're never going to get F1 drivers coming back down I just don't think those times are there anymore but I think yeah. it's right to have those main junior formulas all on the same package.
0: The, yeah, the, the rung b- below Formula 1 last year, GP2, was won by a Swiss guy called Fabio Lima. Where is he? Where's he gone? And, and the guy before that, Davide Valsecchi, they're, they're not involved. And that's wrong, isn't it?
5: Yeah, I can understand. I was teammates with Fabio he's and he's a very nice guy. And um, Davide, you know, like so they they're all very nice guys. But I, the reason why they haven't is because... Uh, they're in like their fourth year or Davide was in his fifth year and I've, speaking to, I've spoken to managers of the t- t- top F1 teams and they're interested in the people that make an impact in their first or second year so um, I think that's the reason why they haven't um, but it's I understand you know it, it, it you can win a championship and then end up being nowhere so um, I think things do need to change in Formula 3 and GP2 I but, think but need to all wouldn't be, it be on
2: a, one wouldn't it be a good idea if the Formula 1 drivers drove other races as well you know, um, other types of car and
5: so on I'm old school so I'm here this weekend racing this, I, I drive whatever I think the best driver is, is kind of multidisciplinary, you yeah. can drive any car I think the more experience you have the better, you look at Sebastian Loeb it's just exactly. coming to World Touring Cars uh, Okay, he's new to it and he, he's, he's fairly quick but as soon as it rains he's dominant because he's got that rallying background so I think that hints the more, the more um, experiences you have in different types of racing will make you overall the better driver
0: Alan, do you think the the talent, the money the opportunities, the the categories you can race in and and therefore the teams you can opt to give your money to are spread too thinly nowadays? It's stretched too far. I
1: think that uh, as we've been discussing in the old days you had a driver who would He would kick off in formula three let's say he formula two was a wonderful formula i quite agree it was a very good building formula and then when you got to formula one you come on back and do it i mean as max has said you won't get a grand prix driver once he's got to that dizzy pinnacle of excellence cutting edge of motor racing he's not going to go backwards but as you said i mean what what fun it was for the spectator and what fun it was for the drivers in the race to have the jimmy clarks and graham hills and jackie shirts and Jochen and and whatever, Jackie, X's and people, all, all in there with you. And as a measure of how good you were, you had the criteria of another driver who was known to be a great driver, if you could equal his times in a similar car. And I think I remember interviewing Nicky Lauda once and we were talking about this respect you might have for older drivers. And what Nikki said was, all that matters, he says, is that on that day, in that car, at that track, with those conditions, you are the quickest. In other words, you couldn't really compare Drivers from the past or present, whatever. But that's what I think is most important: is that um, for for the for the spectators, if Grand Prix drivers would come and do lesser formulae, if they would be allowed to do that by their corporate sponsors and what have you, I think that would be really, really interesting and very beneficial to the drivers in those formulas. Max today driving here, good on you. I mean, hey, thanks for coming, and how nice to have a current F1 man sharing the track with us.
4: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, we've got five or ten minutes left. We'll get uh, a tweet or two. Uh, Stuart, would you like to uh, hand me the honours? Uh, we've been uh, asking people for questions over the course of the past day or two using the hashtag #CSDreamTeams. There's one from Amanda Stretton. Well, Max, good, what would be your dream F1 team? Yeah. Max. Um,
5: yeah, historically, I can't go past 91 yes. because. Could you ask Amanda? If I only on know name is past that. Is she down there? Yes. Um, Current F1 team Amanda or any ever? Any F1 team, any era. I have my great drivers from the past but I'm not particularly uh, up to date with the cars and the teams as well so I'll go more modern day from when I can remember as a child. When I was a kid, I used to sit on a Sunday afternoon and watch this famous red car fly around the track and win. And when you're young, all you want to do is win. And that was was Michael Schumacher. And I think he was, him and Senna were the first to really bring in that modern-day sort of driver where everything was down to preparation performance fitness um, and so I think you need that aspect of kind of uh, what's the word Entrep- not entrepreneur you know bringing new stuff to the sport so I think probably Michael would Michael would have to be in it um, and then more recent than that than Jensen um, I, I've always been a big fan of Jensen I think he's He's always thinking outside the box. I'm not going to say necessarily he's the absolute ultimate fastest, like Alonso, for example. But he definitely brings that side that you want in a team, where you know if the the conditions change, he's one step ahead of the game. I remember a couple of years ago that famous race in Canada where they stopped it for a couple of hours on the grid because the rain was so bad. Um, and I, I put a bet down, I, I was sat at home bored, and I'm not a betting man because I've never seen a poor bookie but I put a, I put a two pound bet on Jensen to win and he was kind of 17th at the time I think on the grid and he came through to win it on the last lap and I got 50 to 1 odds because I knew Jensen was thinking outside the box um, and so I think you know those two drivers modern day would, would, would develop a, a team and a car very well and maybe a bit of myself
0: uh, just before I get uh, teammates, uh, team series from our panelists, any questions from the floor uh, on on the subject of dream teams? Sorry, I should have given you a bit of notice. You want another? You want to ask another one, Amanda? Go on. <laughs> Yeah, the ideal race team is it a blend between what went on before and, and, and the current game? They both got their values, haven't they? It's, it's, some things were great years ago; others are better now.
2: Yeah, but I think we all we all see our era as being the funny era. You, if and we have a good one, if it depends on the car, on the team, the whole, so many things. And I think that you know, we really we. I think we all feel we raced at the the best time. I mean, certainly I know from my point of view that I raced at the time when racing was that much fun and you were going from one town to another town racing every weekend, 52 times a year, you know, and having a great time. And I, I, I just don't see how it can possibly be better to be doing what they're doing today. I think, I think, frankly, if, a if the driver is, is the fastest, he's going to be the fastest whatever time it is. You've got each era. I mean, in my, in my era, Fangio in Formula One was virtually unbeatable. And I think then, then of course, we've had other people, Prost and so on, you know, Senna, you know, who did similar things.
0: Okay, uh, time for one more. Any more questions from the floor? We've got time for one more. One other man. Yes.
2: Um, would the panel consider a dream team to consist of.
1: New, young driver and old, experienced, older, experienced driver, or two drivers both at the top of their game who might uh, bang the old wing or two, but nonetheless get the
0: team... Yeah, their their choices might reflect that, mightn't it? We'll see. Uh, Guys, um, an experienced hand and a young kid, or two experienced guys, or or two kids?
4: All I would say is I, I don't think I would go for two superstars in the same team. Look at the aggro they've always had at teams that do that. I think ferrari have been pretty lucky good the way they brought in a star and a really good understudy who's equally uh, equally capable but isn't quite the superstar and i and i think they they rule out one area of um of, of of a problem look at the problem at mclaren it must be impossible how can anybody race with that atmosphere between those two mercedes oh yeah <clears throat> sorry but
1: you see you say that but I don't know how Max could comment on this, but there's nothing like a bit of needle to really get you sparked up, and that extra 10.1 tenth of what you need. I mean, I think Sterling bear me out here. when you drove with Fangio, you had the great admiration for the man. Yeah. But if you could hang on to him, you knew you were going like the clappers, didn't you? And you then that might just egg him. you
2: on and that's too. I I've, I've had that much respect for Fangio. And frankly, I was happy to follow him. I, whether I could have passed him or not, I have no idea. But I know that I was really happy to be second to Fangio, the best in the world. How, how much higher can you go? You know, that's it. Yeah, but Max, I think, would you say that when you,
1: in your current job, you've got your teammate there, but if you can drag, what, a tenth of a second out of someone who's always been quicker in another car, surely that that must make you feel really good. You know you're making some progress.
5: Yes, yeah, no, you always want to, you know, extract the most you can out of the car, and that gives you the edge. You go to sleep at night, kind of planning on how you're gonna find that extra tenth and a half tomorrow in qualifying to kind of get the upper hand on your teammate, and I think, uh, yeah, you need the respect of your teammate and to kind of push the car forward. If you work as a team, um with your teammates and move the car forward, it makes it more drivable, then you get the better better car to drive handling wise and you might be able to outperform the cars in front. We're ahead of Salba this year, um who who realistically have a probably a second a lap quicker car than us. Um so I think that's you know, Jules did an amazing job getting those points but it was us pushing the pushing the team and developing the, the, the car with what we've got um because we're both young and willing to kind of push push the boundaries to, to succeed. The okay, one,
2: no, may as just say one thing: the one person you've got to beat is your is your teammate. Yeah. That's the most important man out there. Let's face it: don't care who it is or where it was. If you can beat him, you can be judged by that. And it's very important psychologically to a driver. Tell me more about it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, let's uh, let's hear: money, politics, era, no object. Your ideal teammate.
2: I take Tony Brooks first, I
0: think. Okay. Your ideal racing team?
2: Well, it has to be out of my era because obviously I don't, I don't, I don't know just how good the guys are today and, and before. But I would say certainly Tony Brooks was was the uh, would be my person. And which which team? Teams were pretty chatty actually in my era, you know. But but certainly I would say I would say. Uh, Mercedes, certainly. I mean,
0: relatively, that was probably quite untatty, wasn't it, Mercedes? Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. Okay. And uh, in which series? Because, of course, you. Oh, Formula One. Formula One. Okay. I mean, Formula One.
2: I I enjoy sports cars more because I think, frankly, I'm a bit higher up the ladder on a sports car than I was in Formula One, and so therefore I like it very much.
0: But,
3: uh, but one have to, I have to say that Formula One is, is the pinnacle. You were, you were at the top of every ladder, trust uh, me. Exactly. Um, Jochen, ideal teammate? Derek? <laughs> no. Oh. That's, Jackie that's was. Me. No, no, no. no. Thanks, I mean, the teammate. Look, through all the teammates I had, I drove 11 years with Jackie Icks and he was the ideal teammate for me at the time. Because there was never any misgivings about anything. We always agreed on the same setup. We won enough races. It was good. And he was a very competitive spirit, but yet, you know, he was also said, Jochen, you do what you want, and vice versa. So it was nice. But um, talking about the same thing again, to me, ideal situations are when you have, you know, the two very competitive Mercedes drivers in the moment, Hamilton and Rosberg. It's great. It's wonderful for a team if they can handle it. And they can. It's no problem, we had it before with Prost and Senna and at Ferrari or with Mansell and that didn't necessarily work because one parked it deliberately in the wet in Imola on the start, the other one got pushed off (laughs) and so on. So that was a bit of a strange situation in a way. But I think if you have two guys like now, the better one will come out on top and that's good.
0: I wish we had hours because I could listen to you
3: all day. Um, Jackie X, team? Uh, team would be Mercedes because it's, they're very thoroughly and I think they're very um, they're very quality-minded as well. And you know, World Sports Car Championship, I suppose, or Sports or Car Championship yeah. would be great. Ideally, it would have been the 291, the C291 or 292, which was a beautiful car, which didn't happen anymore. But um, the 291 was already a fantastic car, 750 kilos, a lot of horsepower. You know, lovely engine. Engine would have changed later because it was a 12, a flat one, and so on. But um, great cars. Mm,
0: okay. Max, of all the people you could go up against, who would it be? In what? Uh, and in what championship?
3: Um,
5: oh it's hard I, I think it has to be Formula 1 because I'm so used to being in, in single seaters but I would love to kind of learn from the the, the, the past greats if Sterling um, you know Jackie Stewart uh, those guys because they have that other dimension that we, I think us modern day drivers have never experienced so that would be quite cool to kind of I don't know go back in time and uh, experience what, what they went through that's a nice bit of respect isn't it from one of these uh, young guys good chap Alan I wouldn't put myself
1: in a team, my dream team would consist of Desiree Wilson and Janet Guthrie. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yes, who are both female.
2: (laughs) I'm
1: a great believer, Desiree Wilson was the most extraordinary racing driver who I drove with who just happened to be a woman. I would dearly love to have put her with Janet Guthrie, I'd want to put them in one of my Gordon Murray chassis, but I'd have a Porsche turbocharged flat 6 engine and gearbox to go with it because without that knob to crank I, I suddenly realised why we were up against it with a Cosworth engine it's a fabulous bit of kit but it's no good when these guys here could just turn a knob and get, they'd bugger off there di- yes you did don't tell me, I've seen your gauge mate, I don't. anyway that's what I would do and I wouldn't want to do a championship, I want them to I want to just aim for the more. And but don't forget, I was only ever an amateur. And, and the, the, the manager, I wanted to, I want Rob Walker involved. Because he's the only man I ever met in my life who was a privateer who made a small fortune out of motor racing. Even if he had to start with a big one. And he said that himself.
0: <laughs> Good. And finally, Derek. He,
4: he made it laugh a bit talking about Janet Guthrie. I had her in the same cut, as they say. I um, uh, put those words wrong, didn't I? Um, I had her in the car at uh, Watkins Glen. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello. And, um, I remember <laughs> golf. once is funny twice is callous. Yes. Uh. Golf br- brought her along for us testing at Watkins Glen and she did the race with Johnny Rutherford and I was I, I can't remember who my teammate was or the Gulf Mirage and she was so slow, I couldn't believe it. She was very good at going round and round in circles, as they say, but she she really... I, I'm sorry, Alan, you're totally <laughs> up. But I, I James thought it's because you wanted to be surrounded by women and... Linsen
2: James... Danica Patrick will have to take her place then, that's all there is Lynn St. James was fast. Yeah, very she much. She out-qualified oh, an yeah. idol
0: at uh, Indy. I think I'm going to stop this now. Yeah, really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I genuinely have to stop it. Um, guys, thank you very much indeed. Um, And could I say, on behalf of everybody, um, for next week, a very happy 85th birthday to Sir Stirling Moss. Thank you very much. Big thanks also to Jochen Moss, to Max Chilton, Alan de and Derek Bell. And thank you all for coming. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank Thank you.